On first down, the handoff to Marlon Mack. Huge hole, 50-yard line. He's at the 40, still going near sideline. He's at the 10. He's at the 5, and he will score. Touchdown, Marlon Mack. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. And again, it's picked off. It's Darius Leonard. Leonard with a second INT, and he's streaking down the near sideline. He's at the 40. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. He's going to go. A pick six for the Maniac. Kenny Moore gets to Deshaun Watson. That's a sack for Kenny Moore. Kenny has a pick and now a sack in the game. Horseshoe is back, baby. The horseshoe is back. What's going on, Colts fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Bring the Juice podcast. On with me now, very special guest uh, from CNHI Sports Indiana, executive editor and also Indianapolis Colts beat writer and sports editor for the Herald Bulletin, Mr. George Bremer. George, thanks for being on the show, man. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And George, the, the NFL drafts around the corner. Obviously, we know it's going to be a little bit different this year with the coronavirus and looks like it's going to be more of a virtual draft, but... You know, with this being, we're, we're trying something a little bit different and doing something called Draft Week. So starting on Thursday through the next Thursday, we're going to be doing all draft coverage here. And I thought no better way than a guy who covers the Colts day in and day out like you and has a, really has a good beat to the heartbeat of the team and, and kind of some of the tendencies. I know you've been covering the team for a long time now. So been looking at some of your work there at the Herald Bulletin on some of these guys that you think could potentially be some, some good fits for the Colts here, obviously in second round and beyond. And so um, George, I'm curious, who are some of your guys here that you think could be really, really solid fits for the Colts here when they start the 2020 draft here in in, a, in about a week? Yeah. You know, it's always fun with Ballard because he always kind of keeps you on, on your toes, but he also does a really good job of leaving breadcrumbs. I think we've talked a lot, uh, you know, over the last few years about the fact that, he sort of shows his blueprint to you. When, when everything's said and done, you can go back and, and point to a couple comments from the off season and see where they were headed. And I think one of the breadcrumbs that he's kind of left behind right now is offensive line. I really think there's a decent chance they take an offensive tackle early in this draft. Uh, he mentioned that he, he'd rather do that a year early than a year late. Uh, when, when we were talking about Anthony Costanzo during the combine and then that being – at that point, he was saying year to year. We now know it's a two-year deal. Uh, but it does make you kind of look at this class. And I think there are some guys who are kind of on that first, second round cut uh, who might be available when the Colts go on the, on the, on the clock at 34 that, that they'll probably take a look at. And in particular, I'm thinking guys like Austin Jackson from USC, a uh, big, long-armed, athletic, you know, the kind of guy that they, they generally like. Uh, there's some talk about maybe Isaiah Wilson falling there from Georgia. Um, uh, you know, obviously Tristan Wirfs and Mackay Becton, uh, that group is out. They're not going to be here. But Josh Jones from Houston, there's some people that, that think that he's eventually going to be a, as good as, as the four guys they're all looking at it as almost, you know, cemented as, as first-rounders in this class. Uh, but we'll see. He, he's out of Houston. He was kind of a late bloomer. Uh, and I think one of the things about all three of those guys is that they need some time, you know, and uh, another one's Prince Tega Winago from, from Auburn. He might even be a little bit lower than 34. Uh, 
Uh, and I think in each of those cases, they're guys with really high ceilings that people think you're going to need a year or two of development, and that could end up being a perfect situation for this team. So I feel like you know we'll see if that's the way he has been leading us, but I feel like he's kind of hinting that, that he wants to add to that, that offensive line group. I think finding a left tackle who, who could be the guy for the future would be a really big uh, move in this draft. But I also think they're going to later on, I don't think this will be in the second round, but later on they're going to look for a guy who can kind of fill that interior role that, that Joe Haig filled, you know, before he left the Tampa Bay and in, in free agency. I think those are two spots that aren't maybe as, as obvious as wide receiver uh, that they really need to fill. And I, I think they're going to go out and, and really do a lot of work on that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the wide receiver. Obviously, everybody's talked about this. This has been a huge storyline, not just this year. It seems like the past few years, everybody's been saying the Colts need to upgrade a wide receiver. Last year, they dipped into free agency, signed Devin Funches, and then also drafted Paris Campbell in the second round. Uh, neither of those guys really had the impact the Colts were hoping, I mean, Funches due to an injury, and, and also to Campbell to a less degree with an injury. But, George, who are some of the wide receivers that you like um, that you've kind of looked over and scouted and done some scouting reports over that you think would be a fit, not just at 34, but maybe even at 44 or later on in the draft. Cause I've heard a lot of things about how this specific wide receiver class is one of the deepest ones in a long time. Yeah, this is an incredibly deep class. And, and I think that one of the things about Ballard making that move with 13 that he did, I mean, obviously a big part of that was getting to force Buckner and, and that, uh, can't be downplayed at all. I mean, that's a huge position for this defense, as we all know. Uh, just a really aggressive move to go get a guy that, that many people think is one of the top three defensive linemen uh, at his position in the league right now. Uh, and that obviously is the most important position on this defense. So that's the biggest move of the offseason. But I also think when he trades out a 13 like that, to me it's very similar to the move he made with the Jets going down from three to six. Uh, there's got to be a pretty clear picture in his mind of, of what he wants to do at 34. And one of those things that, that kind of comes to mind quickly is wide receiver because I think it's a really deep draft. I think you're hearing more and more as the draft gets closer that some teams are, are going to push that position out of the first round because it's so deep. They feel like they can go and, and grab somebody else and then come back in the second, maybe even the third round get a receiver that can start right away for him and have a big impact. We saw that a few years ago. I want to say it was 2014, uh, where it was a, a very strong defensive draft. And that's all we heard in, in the lead-up. Uh, you know, everybody was talking about this defense. Uh, their stars, you know, all the way through day three that you can pick up. And then on draft day, something like seven or eight of the top ten picks were offensive guys because those teams figured they could come back in round two and then get a defender – uh, that they were going to be really happy with, but there wouldn't be enough offense left. It'll be interesting to see if that happens with the receivers this year. There's more and more buzz about that right now, uh, that there may be fewer receivers in the first round than you think. And if that happens, I think there's going to be some really tempting options at 34. Uh, just from history, it feels like forever, not just the last few years. It feels like it's been the last 20 years. They've been looking for a big-bodied receiver. We all know that. Bunches was was the attempt last year. Uh, I can see a couple guys in this class that, that tend to fit that mold. Uh, I think Justin Jefferson from LSU comes to mind right away. 
had that huge game against Oklahoma in the, in the playoff. Everybody saw that. Everybody kind of knows what he brings to the table. Denzel Mims from Baylor uh, specializes in jump balls, winning contested catches. That's something that really has been a big part of Philip Rivers' game. And I don't know that the Colts have that guy on the roster right now. You could feel confident will go out and win those contested catches. I think T. Higgins is a guy who's probably lower than than 34, who they could they could fit into this kind of a mold. He's from Clemson, uh, another speed guy, but big and, and lengthy, and you know exactly what they're looking for. I think the thing about Mims and Higgins that maybe make them a little bit better fit than than Jefferson. Jefferson did his best work from the slot. And I don't know, with, with Paris Campbell coming back, I don't know that that's going to be where the biggest need is. I think you need somebody you can put outside on the numbers opposite of T.Y. Hilton. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think both Jefferson and, and Higgins are a better fit for that outside receiver. Or not Jefferson, Mims and Higgins are a better fit for that outside receiver spot than Jefferson is. And then, of course, you know, I think there's a guy who's going to be very popular with this fan base for obvious reasons, Chase Claypool. Uh, from Notre Dame, who has that same kind of big body, ran faster than they expected him to at the at the combine, uh, and I think that's you know that's four guys basically off the top of my head. I, I think there's going to be that's one of the things about this draft. It's not just deep in receivers; it's deep in the type of receiver uh, that the Colts have spent decades trying to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned it. Like the Colts have been looking. I don't know the last time. They've been actually found a big body wide receiver. It seems like all the guys they have are six feet or under. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, especially, you know, you mentioned with, with Philip Rivers, especially, you know, you see some of the history of some of the guys that he has had and he's had success with, you know, they're bigger body receivers. You think going back, Vincent Jackson, Mike Williams, some of those guys. Um, and it definitely makes sense there. Um, and kind of going off of that, you know, the Colts obviously made that big move in free agency, signing Philip Rivers to $25 million one-year deal. But, George, to me at least, it signifies, with these moves that the Colts have made in free agency, it kind of signifies that maybe, you know, we thought some people had been have-mocked some of these quarterbacks, second-day second quarterbacks to the Colts. But to me, it kind of symbolizes the Colts believe that they can win now, and especially – you talked about following the breadcrumbs. I, I feel like, you know, the Colts lack of attention to primarily the wide receiver group and the tight end group. It points to me just wanting to build around Phillip Rivers. What does that kind of point to you based off of what the Colts have and have not done in free agency? Yeah, I agree 100%. And when you look at how aggressive they've been this offseason, really the most aggressive that we've seen Chris Ballard be, they haven't even really touched the wide receiver market. They haven't even really touched the tight end market. Uh, and that, to me, does point to the idea that there are guys that, that they like a lot they, and multiple guys because that's one of the big things about Ballard. And I think we know he's been around long enough now. We know he's not going to lock in on one player. That's not the way he operates. He doesn't make a move uh, with one guy at 34 in mind, and then if somebody else takes him, the plan's blown up and, and you don't know what to do next. Uh, if he's if he's treating this the way he is, I've got to believe that there are multiple receivers, which is easily we just talked about how deep that is, but also multiple tight ends, which I think is interesting because that is not seen as a strength of this draft class. Uh, and so if there's a, a couple of guys that, that he thinks can really fit in, that'll be interesting to see. And I know a couple of guys, you know, right off the top of my head there, I think one of the biggest ones just in terms of being a quote unquote Ballard guy is Adam Troutman. 
uh, from Dayton. You know, made his mark at the Senior Bowl. We know how important that is to Ballard. Uh, a guy that, that I think has a lot of production in college behind him, which is another thing that, that we've seen in most of the Ballard picks. A high killer character guy, another leader, all those things you look for. Uh, and then, again, on sort of a local front, I think both Cole Komet at Notre Dame, who had a really big season for the Fighting Irish, uh, and Bryson Hopkins at Purdue, I think, are going to be possibilities to fill that tight end role. But I agree with you 100% that that, that is going to be a, a focus of the draft. And you would think, as much as they have focused on defense and free agency, that makes sense because it's a very young defense. They want to bring in some veteran guys, help out – Ballard was very, very open in January that he felt like one of the biggest problems he had last year is he let too many defensive leaders walk out of that room. And then when things got bad in the last month of the season, the defense couldn't rebound. They couldn't pull out of that spiral. So they bring in DeForest Buckner. They bring in Xavier Rose. They bring in Sheldon Day. They bring in TJ Carey. Uh, with all of it, the point being, here are some veteran guys who can kind of rally the troops when you need to. Now I think on offense, you're probably looking at the opposite kind of a situation where you already have a Phillip Rivers, a Quentin Nelson. Even though he's a young guy, he's a huge leader for that team. Anthony Costanzo, T.Y. Hilton. Now is the time to bring in that young talent behind them. And so I think it's, it's quite possible you see the draft focus a little more on the offense since free agency focus more on the defense. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Actually, that's going to be my follow-up question. Because last year we saw the opposite, right, with the defense. The Colts addressed the defense outside of Paris Campbell. It was all defense. And so um, do you think we could – I was going to ask, do you think we could see a similar approach just the opposite side of the ball? The Colts really focus on offense, maybe snag a defensive player in the second or third round if they want to, and then basically address offense the rest of the way. But um, you, you mentioned the tight end, George, and I want to double back on that. Some of those guys that you mentioned – what do you think you and the Colts are looking for in the tight end position? Because there's lots of different guys um, in this class who do specialize in different things. But what are the, some of the traits you think the Colts are looking for when they, if and when they draft the tight end this year? I think that's another spot where they're looking for a big-bodied receiver. You know, that's what Eric Ebron brought to this team. When he was being consistent, uh, when he was being productive, he was a big target, and, and it's another kind of area that, that they lost this offseason. They've gained a lot, uh, but I think that's one area where they really need to go back and, and, and find some <clears throat> somebody to help replace that production. Now, I think that that's where the Roosevelt Knicks move is a little bit uh, interesting because you bring him in as a fullback, obviously, but it, you also now give yourself a chance to send Jack Doyle and, and Mo Alley Cox out in, in patterns a little bit more often because you now have Nick's there as a pullback to, to stay in and, and be an extra pass protector. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting part of this. But I, I think that when you look at Jack Doyle and the all-around game that he has, his ability to, to you know do it all, to block in the run game, to protect in the pass game, to make catches, uh, that th- they've got that covered. He's been who he is now for – for years here in Indianapolis, uh, and there's a reason Jack Doyle is kind of a cult hero. He's kind of earned that. Uh, and, but behind him, in Alley Cox, you have a guy that it, it feels like every year we talk about him as a breakout candidate. I'm sure that's going to happen again this year with his role right now, looking to increase quite a bit. But he's more of a, a blocker at this point. 
he's got those huge hands. He's made a couple catches. Uh, one in particular against the Raiders uh, a couple years ago that, that everybody remembers. Uh, but for the most part, he, he's been his physicality, his ability to get out uh, in front of some of those sweeps and, and run plays and, and you know clear the, clear the lane a little bit. So I think you need that receiver now, that receiving tight end. You know, they, they've got kind of blocking covered with Doyle and, and Mo Alley-Cox and, and now Roosevelt Nix in the mix. You need to go find that, that extra receiver. And that's why a guy, to me, like a, a Bryson Hopkins, really makes a lot of sense. Because when, when people look at him, he's a later guy in the draft right now. Most people project him as like a third-round pick. Uh, when they look at him on, on paper right now, the biggest knock is, well, how good of a blocker is he going to be? Can he can he be physical enough? Uh, can he do that for you? But he had, I think, 850 receiving yards last year for the Boilermakers, and that was a team that went through three, maybe four quarterbacks. They, they were injured the whole year. Uh, so when mm-hmm. you see that, that he's developed, and, and he's another raw guy. I don't think he started playing uh, football until his junior year in high school. Uh, his dad, obviously, Brad Hopkins, played for, for years with the Titans. So he's been around the game. He understands what the expectations are at the pro level. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, room left to grow. And I'm not saying it's him in particular, but I think a, a prospect like that, uh, somebody with a high ceiling who has a lot of production behind him uh, and, and whose primary job is to get out and pass patterns and catch the football. Yeah, and you mentioned maybe he's not the best run blocker. Well, we saw that with the Colts with Eric Ebron. I mean, he wasn't known for his run blocking at all, but the Colts, you know, they found ways to get Ebron involved without asking him to do things that he wasn't strong in. And so I think that if they did take a guy like that, that would be the plan. It would be similar to that, you know, getting your guy, putting your guys in the best positions to win, like they did with Eric Ebron. And now, you know, if they draft a receiving tight end, like you mentioned, who maybe isn't the greatest run blocker. I mean, they have Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox, who are two of the best. And then Roosevelt Nix at, at run blocking. And so um, I definitely can, can agree with you there. I, I think that's probably what the Colts will do if they do address that. Um, moving back now to the quarterback position. We talked about it a little bit, um, especially with the signing of Phillip Rivers. I think personally that it means that the Colts probably won't address. I mean, maybe they do if a guy falls, but. I wanted to get your take. Um, who are some maybe some mid to, to late round quarterbacks that you think the Colts could potentially be interested in? I know they've been linked to a few of these guys. Who are some of those guys that you think that you've kind of looked over that you think would be potential good fits and can do a lot of the good things that, you know, Frank Reich is looking for in quarterback? Yeah. And first of all, I think you're absolutely right on the idea that I don't think they're going to go early here. I mean, maybe if a prospect falls there to 34, that they just can't pass up. Uh, you know, you never say never. I don't think they went into the draft a couple of years ago thinking that Willie Cooker was going to be the pick, but when he was there at 15, they went ahead and pulled the trigger. So if something like that happens where there's a, a player that, that, you know, beyond their wildest imagination wasn't going to be there, uh, is there on the clock, then, then I think they'll do it. But, you know, I see a lot of people projecting a move up in the draft to go get Jordan Love, and I'm just not sure how much sense that makes. If that was really the goal, if you felt strongly enough about him and getting him in the first round, I don't think that Ballard would have traded out. And I know, you know, I'm not by any stretch of imagination trying to underplay the Buckner move. We talked about that earlier, and I think that was a huge move for this team, regardless of what they were going to do in the first round. But it's hard for me to imagine that, that you're going to vacate that position altogether uh, and then come back after a quarterback. To me, that was a sign that, you know, they're not really in love with, with anybody in this quarterback group, but there are some guys 
uh, in those kind of mid to late rounds, like you talked about, that I think make a lot of sense. I think one guy whose name you're going to hear again and again, you already have, though he may get moved up from the way that the talk is right now, uh, is Jalen Hurts. You know, I think he's another guy that if you look at his makeup, his character, his leadership, competitiveness, all those sorts of things are exactly what Ballard Reich looked for in a quarterback. In fact, I think he's very similar in that regard to Jacoby Brissett in terms of off the field, you know, warrior mentality, natural leader, all those kinds of things you hear about Jacoby, you hear about Jalen Hurts. And I also think it was interesting when, when Reich brought up the idea of bringing in Jacoby for five to seven plays a game. Uh, I think Hurts is a guy that that makes a lot of sense with. If that's something you want to do, uh, this year and possibly next year, Hertz has that sort of Taysom Hill quality to come in, you know, be a factor in the running game. I think that's where he's going to make a bigger impact early on as a pro. He's obviously raw in the passing game. Took some big steps last year at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, uh, and and I think one of the things there that will give Ballard confidence is that there's no questioning Jalen Hurts' work ethic. He's one of the hardest workers in this draft. I was at the combine. I was doing a, a, a interview with somebody. I don't, I don't remember who, but I was walking around uh, the hallways there around the media room, and I just happened to see somebody warming up, stretching out his arm, and it was Hurts. And the next time I passed him in that, that hallway, he was throwing with the trainer. It was the day before the quarterback's throw, but it's that kind of attention to detail. He's at the hallway in the convention center working on his passing game, you know, this is not a kid who's going to fail because he didn't work at it. I know that that's a big thing. Both Reich and Ballard have mentioned again and again. They look for that work ethic because they feel like those are the guys who will eventually reach their ceiling. Whatever that ceiling is, they'll get there because they'll put the work in to do it. So I think Kurtz is an interesting guy, but I think he's a guy that may well go before the Colts have a chance uh, to, to go into that market. I know the Raiders have a lot of interest because as much as he's a Chris Ballard guy, he's a Mike Mayock guy. I think there's a lot of other teams that are going to see that character, that, that winning background, and, and want to make a move there. I think one of the other guys that makes sense from a standpoint of what Frank Reich likes to do, uh, he won't fit every team, and I think that's kind of the way you're going to look at with these, this group is Jake Fromm from Georgia. Uh, his arm is suspect, and there's a lot of questions about that. Had a really bad year this year after Georgia lost some skill position guys. Uh, numbers dropped, but he's a guy that, that is – you know, super smart, can process the game very quickly, had a lot of control at the line of scrimmage with the Bulldogs. Um, he, he excels in the, in the kind of quicker, shorter passes that the Franks offense really utilizes. So he's another guy that's going to need some development. I don't think he's a guy who would start 2020 no matter where he lands. Uh, but I think he makes some sense because of some of the attributes that he has that the Colts value. And then I think two even later round guys that really make sense. Maybe for me, my favorite guy to connect to the Colts, and I haven't heard anything as far as their interest goes here. Uh, but Ballard's usually pretty good about keeping that under wraps, too. I think Anthony Gordon's a really interesting prospect from Washington State. Everybody talks about how quick his release is. I was reading a story the other day where they were talking to the coach at the City, Co the City College of San Francisco where he started his career. And that guy said, you know, more than a few quarterbacks have come through that JUCO who have gone on to do good things. When he was standing behind Anthony Gordon on the first day of practice and watching the ball come out of his hands, he was just shaking his head and thinking, what is he doing here? You know, how is he at this level? 
but this is a kid who's been overlooked his whole career so far. He threw for almost 5,000 yards his uh, senior year in high school in California, was the medium school player of the year in the state, and had no offers, was a no-star recruit, ends up at City College of San Francisco, leads them to a state championship, almost throws for 4,000 yards as a freshman, and the only offer he gets then is from Washington State. When he gets there, he's got to wait three more years to get on the field. He redshirted a year. He sat behind Luke Falk, and he lost the competition uh, two years ago to Gardner Minshew. Then his one year as a starter, he throws for over 5,500 yards, sets Pac-12 record with 48 touchdown passes. There's a lot to like there from a production standpoint, from a perseverance standpoint. Uh, another kid whose arm strength is, is in doubt, whose footwork needs, needs to get better. Uh, but I really think whoever comes here this year, and that's why I think it'll be more of the Gordon variety or the other the, the other late-round guy I think is James Morgan from Florida International, uh, who's another guy that is looked at for his leadership, smarts, you know, ability to, to control the game at the line of scrimmage. I think with those two, uh, what makes the most sense is if they keep Jacoby Brissett on the roster. And for now, I'm going to take them at their word that that's what they're going to do then whoever comes in as a quarterback is going to have essentially a red shirt season. They're not going to see the field. They're going to be behind both Rivers and Brissett. They're going to be asked to soak up everything they can uh, from a knowledge standpoint. I think they were preparing for this last year a little bit. They carried Chad Kelly on the roster as a third quarterback all year, even with all the injuries that went through. I think it proved to them it's something they can do. That's what they want to do. So to me, it makes more sense unless they're going to move Jacoby Brissett it makes more sense to go get a Gordon or a Morgan and let them basically sit this entire year, soak it in, and then if Rivers is re-signed uh, to be the quarterback in 2021, have another season where you're the backup before you're even competing to be the starter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned there, there are a lot of traits that, Rank, that Reich is looking for. I know he mentioned with Philip Rivers kind of the RPO game. Um, and I, I know what a lot of people hear the RPO game, they typically think Lamar Jackson, RG3 type of thing. But, you know, he mentioned just getting the ball out of your hands where when an unblocked defender is coming at you, finding ways to get your receiver, you know, when your receiver's wide open, finding ways to get that the ball to them. And you mentioned, you know, um, Anthony Gordon's one of those guys who thrives like that. And he's a guy that I'm really interested in. I'm really high on. Um, he's a guy, I just was reading your story a little bit and just looking at some of the adversity that he had to face there. You know, throughout his entire basically football career, he's had to endure hardships and adversity. Um, but he's a guy that, that offers you tremendous upside, and he's a guy that would be really interesting. James Morgan, you mentioned. Um, one thing that I think will, you know, cannot be understated is the smarts at the quarterback position. And you mentioned that there's a couple of those guys. But you look back at, you know, Andrew Luck, one of the smartest quarterbacks, if not the smartest quarterback in the league. Peyton Manning, one of the best minds ever in the NFL. Um, so, you know, you kind of look at it and like, yeah, you know, those physical tools, you want those physical tools, but beyond that brain, like the ability to control the game at the quarterback position, the mo- the hardest position in sports, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard would say, uh, I don't think that can be understated, George, that the quarterback smarts, man, you'll live and die by that. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that Reich likes about rivers. You know, I think when people go and, and wonder if he's lost something on his fastball. And it looks like he absolutely has, I mean, just from the naked eye from last season. Uh, but Reich is, is so much a, a fan of the way that Philip Rivers approaches the game. And obviously he was out there with him for three years 
uh, you know, has firsthand knowledge of it, sitting in meetings with him, game planning with him, and then taking that through to game day. Uh, I thought that was one of the biggest, more interesting things that, that Reich talked about when we had him a few weeks ago on the conference call. You know, Rivers is one of the smartest guys he's been around, and he was here with Peyton Manning. Uh, he feels like – he didn't say it on a conference call with us, but he said it in 2014 when he was out there in San Diego. He feels like there's a lot of similarities in the way uh, Rivers controls the offense, the command he has in the huddle, the way that he reads plays before, before the snap. Uh, you know, those kind of intangible things that are so very important to the quarterback spot. Reich sees a lot of similarities between Rivers there and Peyton Manning. What happens after the snap is different, but I think before the snap, uh, Reich sees a lot of similarities between those two. And I think it's one of the reasons he's so excited that Rivers is a part of this team now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, before I let you go, George, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the offense in this episode. Are there any defenders or any positions that you think the Colts could find a guy, um, whether that is in the second round or later on in the draft, uh, that you think they could they could surprise some people maybe and make a selection there? Yeah, absolutely. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they dig into the, the cornerback spot again. I know that they signed two guys. You know, David Rhodes obviously here on a one-year deal. T.J. Carey's here on a one-year deal. Uh, Carey more than likely here to back up Kenny Moore, and, and Rhodes will be – one of those outside starters, you'll have, you know, probably Rhodes and Moore as the, the starters in the base set. And then when they go to nickel, Moore will kick inside and, and Rocky Sin would be the guy on the outside. But we know that Ballard loves competition. I think that you can never be deep enough at that cornerback spot. We've seen that the last few years, uh, you know, injuries start piling up and all of a sudden you got to play that fifth, sixth, seventh guy. Uh, so I think there's there's a real possibility to go after a corner. I think there's some intriguing guys in that group. Uh, Jalen Johnson from Utah, if he falls, uh, I think is a guy that, that could be really interesting to them uh, just because of the way that he plays the game, because of his ball hawk abilities. A couple other guys that, that make sense, Damon Arnett from Ohio State, I think is somebody that they could look at you know, as, as a corner. Um, but I also think – Defensive end, you know, that pass rush spot is another spot that they're going to really focus on. We know Ballard loves the lines on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, they've been active on the defensive line and and free agency, but it's all been interior to this point. So I think that you could see them go after, uh, you know, a few of these pass rushers, especially a twitchy guy, uh, you know, speed guy, that they really, really enjoy that. Uh, we've seen them try that a couple times with Ben Banigou and, and Kamoko Ture, and I think they may go back that route again this year. I know they've been in contact recently with Terrell Lewis from Alabama. He'd be uh, switching from an outside linebacker. And then I think one of the guys who's, who's really interesting, and I don't know if they'll they'll end up uh, you know, being in the market for him or not, but Josh Uche from Michigan because uh, he's a linebacker by trade, but it would be sort of the role that they had playing for Ben Banigou a year ago. They ended up scrapping that idea and just making him a traditional 4-3 defensive end. But I'm going to be interested to see if they go back to that sort of Leo concept uh, of having somebody be an off-ball linebacker on the early down, move up to the line of scrimmage, and, and rush the passer on third down. And UJ said teams have talked to him about that specific role uh, at the Senior Bowl and, again, at scouting combine. So I don't know, you know, maybe that's a, uh, an idea that they've abandoned altogether. Uh, but if it's not, then I think Josh Uche would be an, an interesting choice. 
Uh, and then, you know, I think safety is another spot that we really haven't talked a lot about. Obviously, Clayton Gathers, it looks like, will not be coming back. I know they feel good about Hooker and, and Kari Willis as, as the starters. Uh, and George Odom is a guy that, that Chris Ballard has been high on for a while now. We've seen those guys pay off before for this team, whether it's Jonathan Williams when, when he finally got his shot last year, or whether it's uh, Zach Pascal, who's really become a, a really important player for this football team. Uh, he's talked very similarly about George Odom. I know Odom had a big game against the Chiefs last year. It'll be interesting to see you know, what his role is this year. But that's another spot where I think uh, quietly they could kind of add some depth and, and bring in another young talent uh, to, to kind of compete in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to – so for some of our listeners who you talked about the Leo kind of position there on the Colts defense, um, you, you mentioned in your article kind of about the Seahawks when they run a 4-3 scheme as well. I mean, you said that Leo position is kind of like a hybrid linebacker defensive end spot um, who normally plays off the ball a little bit on first and second down, then kind of scoots up to the line of scrimmage on passing downs. Um, So that would be definitely an interesting kind of wrinkle into this Colts defense. It seems like um, the Colts offense always has all these wrinkles. You know, it seems like, you know, Frank Reich's always one step ahead of his competition. But on the defensive side, it seems like at least the last couple of years, maybe one of the knocks on the defense has been, it's just, they haven't done a lot of exotic things. You know, last year, I feel like they did a little bit more than they normally did. Um, but this would definitely be an interesting kind of concept to, to have a Leo guy kind of, you know, a, another linebacker off the ball and kind of change what that rule looks like. Because, you know, last year you had Walker and, and Leonard, and then you also had um, Okariki playing that, that Sam linebacker. And so it, it would definitely be interesting to, to get a guy, um, like Uche uh, from Michigan, who who could kind of change up what you do on defense a little bit, throw throw some teams some curveballs sometimes. Uh, um, are there any other things that you think the Colts could do on their defense um, specifically to kind of change things up um, for their competition here in 2020? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is, is just going to be the the things that Buckner opens up. I think there'll be some scheme changes here and there. Uh, you know, I think that they're going to play a little more man. It's something that they have more success when they do it. I mean, you go back to the to the Kansas City game, and that's as aggressive as the defensive secondary has been probably in two years under Matt Eberflus. They got up, they got physical with the receivers, knocking guys off their routes. Uh, you know, really had uh, tremendous success that day. And there definitely were some issues. I mean, Sammy Watkins didn't play in that game. Pat Mahomes played the second half with an ankle injury. Uh, but to slow down the Chiefs the way they did, to hold them to 13 points, nobody's done that. You go through the the, the history of that team since Pat Mahomes has become the starter, nobody has done that. So, yeah, they were mitigating factors, but uh, it's still one of the more impressive accomplishments of the NFL season last year. And I think that that's something that, you know, it just makes sense. Some of the guys they've got, Rocky Steen, much better as a press man corner. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Rhodes has left. There is some thought that the switch to zone might help them, and they're not going to abandon the, the cover, too. That is their their base defense. Uh, but you saw them play more man at, at, at times last year, especially when Kenny Moore was healthy. I think you're going to see them do more of that this year, but I think Buckner helps in that regard because part of that is you want to make sure that you get to the quarterback. You know, you go back to the Tampa Bay game. I use the Kansas City game as, as an example of, a great job that they did. You go back to the, to the Tampa Bay game and they didn't play as much man in that game because Kenny Moore was hurt and he was out. But one of the bigger problems with that, whether you're in zone or man, 
It was taking so long to get to the quarterback. There was no pressure on Jameis Winston. And he was just back there basically you know, shredding the defense, tearing it apart. He even threw a couple of interceptions, and it didn't matter. They were able to come back and, and, and keep putting points on the board and, and win that game in a shootout. So I think Buckner's ability to, to kind of collapse that pocket on the interior, it's not just going to be important because of what he does. It's going to help Denico Autry. It's going to make him a guy they can move around, you know, let him play on the inside beside Buckner, certainly in some situations, definitely in nickel and and then passing downs. Uh, But I also think you could see Autry move out and play defensive end again. He did that a little bit his first year here. Uh, I could see him filling that Jabal Sheard role on first and second down, being the other end opposite Justin Houston. Uh, but, you know, it's going to open up Buckner's ability to, to, to get to the passer. It's going to open up things for Autry. It's going to open up things for Grover Stewart, who's likely going to be the starting nose tackle. It's also going to open up things for Justin Houston. And then Kamoko Ture, who I think was really coming on before he had that broken ankle, ankle against the Chiefs. You know, now all of a sudden, if you're an opposing offensive coordinator and you're preparing for this Colts defensive line uh, during the week, I think for the first time in years, probably since Mathis and Freeney were here, you're really concerned. You've got to figure out what you're going to do to stop Justin Houston. You've got to figure out what you're going to do to stop DeForest Buckner. And you've only got five offensive linemen. You're going to have to start keeping guys in to chip uh, just to take care of guys like Ture and Autry and Grover Stewart. Uh, I think offense are going to change the way they play against the Colts. I think DeForest Buckner is going to be a really, really big part of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, George, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really excited to just see what the Colts do. There's a lot of different options, a lot of different routes they can take. Lots of mock drafts have happened, and now it's almost time. So I appreciate you, man, coming on, and I hope you stay safe, brother. No problem. You too. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Bye.